Welcome to Breaking the Mold, exploring the people and issues fueling business today. It's business time. It's business time. It's business. It's business time. And now, let's break the mold. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Breaking the Mold. It's the business show for discerning podcasters. Um, I'm Evan Roth, your host, joined by, wait for it, wait for it, guest co-host Dan Roth. It's great to be here. It is, it's, I love the studio. Yeah, well, we've done a lot with it since the last time you were here. Your voice sounds a lot deeper than what I remember from previous podcasts that I've guest co-hosted. It's funny that you mentioned that because I thought you were actually going to go to It's Deeper Than I Remember When You Were 17 and Still Hadn't Hit Puberty Yet. That is and I appreciate true. not going there. Because <laughs> <laughs> now it just reflects more of the fact that uh, I had a few um, drinks of alcohol last night and therefore my deep resonant voice is coming across to you in a nice pitch today. Sad. You're such an old man that it affects you. You have like half a beer and this is what happens to you. It's incredible. Beer? is <laughs> milk. But it was 2%. It went right to my head. Dan, we, we do have discerning listeners. They pick up subtle nuances in our show like, for example, the episode that follows episode 10 is normally called episode 11. However, our episode 10 following episode 10 is called episode 10. People tuned into that. They were able to then, we in, we in a, a number of emails, phone calls, um, were, were of course reminded that as a business co- podcast, we probably should be able to count past 10, but instead we didn't, and we did a second episode 10. And therefore, the big question for the day is, do we go to episode 11 now or episode 12? I Your think, thoughts? I, I want to go right to 12. Let's do it. Let's do it. You got to think big. You got to, I think that you have to always try to push beyond where you're comfortable. Mm-hmm. I'm very comfortable at 11. Yeah. 12 makes me nervous. I say we go there. Go there. Okay. And does it make you uncomfortable that there's no episode 11, like going onto an elevator and not seeing a number 13? You're okay with it? I think that, I think it adds a lot to the show. I think it it, it shows that we're unpredictable. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, are you going to be the guest co-host this week? You never know. Never know. And what's next episode going to be? People will tune in. I mean, this is, I know we're going to talk about marketing a little bit. Yeah. And I think this is what I've learned from watching really smart people in marketing is you do stuff like this. You have to say, what's the next episode? What number is it going to be? Jeez. You know, it's the top brains. It's like the iPod. Next iPad. iPad 4, iPad 6, (laughs) iPad 11, BMW 300, 500. Where's 400? Oh, that's actually, that is, and, and then... Remember now how BMWs come out with like a 100 series and a 400 series? It gets people excited to like when there's like, you know, um, something unusual. Yeah. So why don't we circle back after like episode 82 back to episode 11? Perfect. We're there. Something to look forward to. Speaking of something to look forward to, we are going to be doing our show today in three acts. Uh, we got a lot of good feedback on the fact that we went without a guest last episode. We, we you know, we, we can make conversation, me and Dan. And so this time we are going to do it as well. But uh, fear not for those uh, traditional listeners. We will have guests um, in the future, maybe even next episode. So here, we're going to talk about it. First act, topical issue. What's more topical, Dan, than Donald Trump? Your, I mean, I would, what, your best friend? What, how, how should I describe it? Uh, probably my, probably he would call himself my greatest friend. Your greatest friend. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. 
second act, Dan, we're going to, it's, it's the big money section of the show. We're going to talk a little bit about the genetic basis of money. Yeah, that's that's got to that's got to put people to sleep right now. But it is interesting. The question is, are your money habits, spending, saving, what you decide to do for uh, for your your um, uh, what you're going to do with your allowance? That is that genetic based. Do you think that you've learned good habits? Is it all up to the fact that your parents um, had you and what your genetic makeup is there? And then Dan will be followed by the big idea. Big idea. We're going to spend some time with Dan initiating this part of the conversation to talk through. We're going to talk a little bit about Uber, regulation, and the gig economy. Mm-hmm. Do you okay. always let your guest co-host come up with a third segment? Is that just is that the way that you run this thing? No, just, just for you, Dan. <laughs> After your 11th straight guest co-hosting of it, you're able to pick up on your own. Dan, Trump. The question that we're going to tackle here is, is one that we don't really, you know, it's, we can leave politics out of this. This is a business podcast. But Donald Trump, the question is, Let's make the assumption he's not our next president, which I think each day as you start to, you know, wonder more and more whether that's possible. But assuming he's not, does Trump the business get affected positively, negatively, indifferently to the fact that uh, we've just gone through Trump the politician? Your thoughts as we kick it off here. <clears throat> well, the it depends on where you're talking about. We can already see the impact of Trump's words internationally. Uh, there was a story in the, um, uh, I think it was the New York Times, that talked about people who were living in Trump buildings overseas, mm-hmm. thinking about how this reflects on them. And I think that the chance of Trump doing business in predominantly Muslim countries is probably incredibly limited at this point. Yeah. Now, in the U.S., he is a, I mean, Trump's, what's interesting about this is that Trump's business is his Him. brand. That's it. He doesn't own these buildings. Nope. Even if he says he does, he doesn't. And he, um, and so. It's all licensing, right? It's I all mean, licensing. It's just That's a matter right. of, and it doesn't matter whether you're a golf course operator or a hotelier or a commercial real estate builder. All you're doing is paying Trump to use his name. Yeah, now it's possible he might have some ownership stake in some of these golf courses and other, and, and small ownership stakes in, in the buildings. But he's not. But the royalties and the licensing That's are right. where That's, the money's That's made. his money. And uh, and so you would think if you were in a position like that, all everything would have told you be incredibly careful. Try not to offend those people. That's <laughs> that you right. Actually, need to actually yeah. be able to partner. With I mean, you. this guy. I think he is rewriting the rules of branding with the yeah. fact that he is doing this. I and mean, if you look at every, he's broken so many rules. The social media. You know, you try to be you. you you're thoughtful on social media. You try to craft a brand image. He's a, a wild man on Twitter. He'll tweet anything. But he, that's his brand. But but the that brand, wasn't his brand. He just suddenly changed it. He doesn't care at all. Well, he's certainly never been a a, a wilting flower. A, a, a you know the line. Absolutely. He's certainly not somebody like that. Yeah. He's always been somebody who's been willing to speak a, as bombastically as he does now. He's not a you know a cerebral, thoughtful person. People want to be associated with him because I think they they feel. An aspiration. They they live larger than their life when they're in a Trump building. Yeah. Like there's they, they they're proud of the fact that they live in a Trump building, and that's true, and that that's true because that's that that's his larger than life personality. That's I don't, right. I don't feel like that has changed at all, given it's just now been expressed in the arena of politics. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I, I spent when I was at Fortune, I spent about uh, three months working on a story about him, ended up being a cover story for Fortune. This was back when The Apprentice first launched, mm-hmm. and. 
one of the things I noticed from doing the reporting was that all of his staffers, anyone that worked for him, ended up taking on the Trump persona. Hmm. And even down to his airplane pilots, when you fly Trump Air from, and I flew with him from New York to California, I was talking to the pilots afterwards, and the pilots were talking about how they have the best seats. I'm not making this up. They have the best seats of any airline pilot in, in the world. Maybe it was the country. And they have these, like, lambskins seats. And they would talk about it. They were really proud of it. They talked yeah. like Trump. His former – there was a um, – there was someone who was, like, a, a personal assistant to him, sounded just like Trump. They all take on his the, – the bigger-than-life personality. Everything's the best. There's no superlative. They don't grab onto. It's mm-hmm. just incredible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and the other part of, of Trump, I would say, is that he is – this this thin-skinnedness, the willingness to fight back at any time over anything has always been part of his personality, right, too. Right, um, So that's so, – so really what you're – because he's been successful. Actually, one of my favorite stats about Trump um, that has come out as a result of, you know, this – you know, him certainly having an even greater – Being the frontrunner, yeah. Yeah, being the frontrunner is that, you know, his is – I'm self-made, right? You know, this this is me. I've, I've created the wealth. I'm a billionaire. I mean, he thinks the numbers is 10 – He's worth $10 billion. I think Forbes most recently said he was worth $4 billion. But by the absolute dollar amount, he is incredibly successful. However, he inherited $250 million from his father. That's, those are public records, $250 million. Um, if you'd invested that $250 million in the S&P 500, you would have more than $10 billion today. So what he has done is through his own act actually – done worse than naively and passively just investing in, in broad-based U.S. equities, in other words, a proxy for the U.S. economics, you know, U.S. economic market. So he, he certainly, he, he, would, he, he would either ignore that fact, brush it off, or tell you that it's a lie. But in the end, that's how he's brought himself up to be this guy who's an incredibly self-made, successful person. So if you go and you say, I am a uh, um, I'm going to go start a golf course, and I wanted to have something that like that that screams, you know, success, success and money. Right. That's not going to be any different. If anything, he's now like, you know, he's he's proven all the pundits wrong. He's been the front runner for eight months. No matter what happens from here, doesn't that just get? Doesn't that just like just, you know. I, I think broaden you know the interests of those people to actually do business with uh, yeah. somebody who's named Trump. I was going to get there. I actually think that this will, in the long run, help his brand. I think that yeah. no matter. I think that I assume I'm with you, and I'm not a political person at all. But what if, for everything that I've read certainly indicates that after the that at some stage the 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 odds are well against Trump in winning this uh, yeah. winning winning the presidency. But he has gotten a devoted a following that was even more devoted to him than ever. I think the people who aren't going to vote for him and were never going to vote for him were also the right. people who weren't going to buy Trump condos and, and Trump, Trump steaks and, and Trump, Trump water. Right. And um, and uh, and so I don't think it does. He hasn't won any new purchasers purchasers of his stuff. But I think he's really cemented. Probably he's got probably he has people who are now always going to buy Trump goods. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and therefore always Trump buy because of what they think he's done. They think he's a great American. And uh, the and I think in the and he's the way he 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 positions himself is I I buy, but I can't be bought. And people love having that, like right. you know, that that thought about themselves. Absolutely, it's like, yeah, I can't be bought, but I can buy this beautiful five floor luxury apartment looking out over the Hudson. Sure. You know, um, but so then the only thing that's really changed through this election is a greater visibility, but also I think the offensiveness to 
Mexicans to Latin Americans to Chinese as he's gotten even more on his kind of bandwagon about them as being currency manipulators um, and certainly Muslims. And there was the, the backlash that you talk about in, in Muslim countries and in, in, in Dubai particularly where he had a, a licensing agreement with the largest lifestyle company, home decor company in, 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 in Dubai. And, you know, they had their stuff on the shelves for 150, you know, different stores that they have throughout. And it's like that's that probably will leave, you know, a bit of a mark. But hard to imagine that that leaves a great enough mark to offset all of the other good things that are going to happen as people who really do identify with who he is. Yep. I also, but I do think it does take him out of the public media game. He was becoming someone that you could bank on if you were NBC, CBS, ABC. He would be a regular. He was someone that you'd want to have on your but show. Wait, but why? Are you kidding? That, Look at CNN viewers. Look at the amount of people that were drawn to the debate. How much money did he put in CNN's pocket? By? I don't think. But I think like shows like The Apprentice go away now. At the, in the long run, that probably makes no difference to him. Yeah. But I don't think anyone will build a show around. Okay, so Dan, so I, you know, so so what's your what's your final take here on Trump? Uh, I think that uh, he is rewriting the rules of personal branding. Mm-hmm. I think we will have. So many mini Trumps that will come out of this. People will be even, you know, we, I, we, you've already seen something like the CEO of T-Mobile being willing to take on the CEOs of Sprint and go on Twitter and make fun of them. Uh, Mark yeah. Cuban huh. doing the same thing against Twitter and and Chris Saka this week. He was just absolutely no, you know, no holds barred. Have no problem insulting people and talking with your real voice in a very hostile way. That is no longer something that can destroy, that can be a brand destroyer. That might even be seen as a brand builder after this. So I think that he has a huge impact on on how personal branding works after the election is over. And I think it's great for his uh, economic, for his own personal stakes in places, but I think it gets him a smaller, hardcore group of, of, uh, of buyers that will be forever gated off from a certain other certain segment of society. All right. I'm a little more, I think, crude in that I actually think that whatever damage he's doing will be forgotten in a very short period of time. And networks think with their bottom line. You know, I think media thinks with its bottom line. And if he brings ratings and he brings eyeballs in a market that's struggling right now, that'll come back too. And... um, and I do think that in the end that, that people who um, are currently his supporters will still be his supporters. And, um, and yeah, and I don't think he really cares that Hispanics and Muslims and the other, you know, haters. And I, and I, I would say that, that there might be copycats, um, but there's only one guy who's created a brand around his name like this. Like, you know, if you're Nike and you put out – you know, Michael Jordan gear so that you can feel an emotional attachment to Nike because you love Michael Jordan, that's going to happen. But that's Michael Jordan through Nike. It's not Trump for Trump. Right. And I don't think that's going to change. All right. Time will tell. President Trump will let us know. (laughs) Okay, let us uh, wrap up there, and we will be right back with uh, our second segment, talking a little bit about genetics. Thanks for listening. listening to Breaking the Mold. You can follow us on Twitter at BTM Show, or you can email us at btmshow at icloud.com. Now, more of Breaking the Mold. Welcome back to Breaking the Mold. Dan Roth, joined by Evan Roth. We are here to talk 
a little bit about the big money section of the show. And uh, last night, uh, last uh, episode, episode 10B, we talked about community banks. Um, and as a result, there was a huge run on commercial bank, on community banks, Dan. I don't know if you saw this, oh my but God, yeah, it was crazy. They were just bought up in droves. Um, and so we hope that the same thing isn't going to happen every time. Moving markets like this, it's not, that's not good. Um, but so we want to talk a little bit about what drives people in their behavior around money. And uh, this topic comes up a lot for me at work, which is trying to deduce among your clients behaviors that are um, able to be influenced through good advice and those where it really makes the most sense to just accept the people are who they are, clients are who they are, and do the best around it. And um, and this comes up a lot in the whole financial planning community and somewhat of a different client base than we work with, which is how do you encourage um, good behavior so that um, people can make the right choices with their disposable income instead of spending it all on buying Dan you a beautiful holiday sweater. Instead, save it for their own retirement. I would never thought you'd comment on my sweater. Thank you. Uh, Elsa, aside in loving your sweater, uh, what we are encouraging is uh, for people to have good discipline and be able to put some money away for their retirement. Uh, otherwise, uh, it can be um, somewhat of a drain not only on themselves, family, but also society. And so the question is how much of that can be taught and how much of it um, is just going to be difficult because those are the genetic makeup of people. Here's what we've learned. There's an entire actually body of economics called genoeconomics, which actually looks back kind of tracing the human genome project from 2000 is can you pick a gene on your DNA sequencing that says this is how you're going to act with money. It would be really elegant and nice for that to happen, but it doesn't. Um, but it does have a, a, a big influence. So there's been a lot of studies on twins. Twins are the best to study. Mm -hmm. I, 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 it would suck to be a twin like Elsa and her sister. That's right. Um, because you're just constantly like studied for to be able to see where your genetic versus your nature versus nurture kind of happens. So if you're an identical twin, now this is a bit of an aside, but if you're an identical twin, did you know that they don't come out uh, the same size? There's always one that's smaller than the other. Which one? Um, usually the one on the right. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sometimes on the bottom. I didn't know this. Yeah. Well, that's because you're not a twin. <laughs> so, um, the um, and they, but not that long after birth, the smaller one catches up to the fraternal twins are born same size, much closer in size than identical twins. And then they, you know, differentiate over time. So I, um, I'm going to probably leave this business podcast and just go to. <laughs> I say, did this? When did this turn into some like NPR science uh, uh, podcast? That was really yeah, I, incredible. I, I will tell you this. I, um, I'm not sure I ever got a passing grade in science. I took uh, physics for poets in college in order to fulfill my science requirement. And well, I, I think that you will clearly uh, are on your way to becoming the next great. Um, I don't know. Steve Hawkins. Yes, exactly. Thank you. See, at least I know a scientist. I might not understand science, but I know a scientist. Is um, uh, Carmelo the science fellow? You ever heard of him? Mm, Carmelo Anthony. Does he, does he study science? I was thinking science? that genoeconomics, study of yeah. Geno Smith's economics, <laughs> nice. backup quarterback for Dang, the Jets. Fair. Backup. Thank you. Yeah. See, that's you, you've been studying for these podcasts, Absolutely. haven't you? Yeah, well, we do a sports one after this. <laughs> and I do a science one after that. <laughs> right. So the question is, Dan, do you believe what has been more or less determined that there is a sizable amount of evidence not linking it to a single gene, yeah. but that 
what you decide to do, whether you're a risk taker, whether you're not a risk taker, whether you um, have a goal to kind of acquire wealth, to how you view money in terms of its importance, you believe that can be learned? Let me <clears throat> ask you a question. Mm -hmm. This will be determine, this is a, a something that uh, our dad did, and I want to see whether you do it. This would tell me whether there is this is passed down generations. Uh, what our dad did by m making us mow the lawn. Mow the lawn, that's one. Yeah. No, this one is different. Do you remember whenever we would get envelopes in the mail that the post office somehow accidentally didn't stamp as being... Uh, <laughs> completely didn't, used. It didn't, po didn't postmark. postmark. They weren't postmarked. We would take all those and put them in a, a sink and soak them, and you could then take the stamp off and reuse the stamp because it hadn't been marked as being used by the post office. Uh, uh, like, it didn't even occur to me that wasn't normal behavior right. until, like, college or after college. Like, <laughs> wait, you didn't, you didn't spend most of your Saturday afternoons with, soaking in a, in a sink with an envelope? <laughs> right. So that's, do that's you do a, that? That uh, <laughs> is actually, like, um, not... No, I don't do that. And the question is, is it because those stamps don't exist? Because technology doesn't allow you to? Because people, the U.S. Postal Service was on to dad about that. If it was possible, would we do it? I I, I, I would not do I, it. I would not. Do you save your receipts and look at and, and look at them? I did, and then I felt like I trust the system. Wow. So I think maybe that's an interesting take on it, which is, does dad, okay, so this is, again, is, <laughs> dad, how do you feel like being, being profiled here? Um, is, is that a function, is, is, was that just because about trusting or was it about money consciousness? Uh, that's a, maybe the system is better now. We can, we have, right. we now can trust it. It's harder to, to cheat on a receipt and, uh, and, uh, you know, inflate someone's tip. Um, and the post office has gotten so good with technology. They're a leader in technology, I think <laughs> one could argue. <laughs> that they, it is true. When you think about cutting yeah. edge technology, you uh, think right. postal it's, like, it's like Amazon, um, <laughs> Facebook, post office. <laughs> usually, usually post office first. That's post right, exactly. Post office, Amazon, right. Google. Um, so, I, so to answer your, the long way of saying your question, I actually don't believe that it is – I think it is uh, – I think it's, it's nurture, not not nature. I don't think it's actually mm – -hmm. I don't think my kids have a very different take on money from each other, especially Julius, who's three. Yeah. <laughs> like almost no understanding of money. It's really weird. <laughs> that's, just, that's just because parenting problems. That's uh, it just could be bad parenting. Yeah. yeah. And um, so I, I, I don't see – I see no signs of it. I mean, you look at it and there are certain things you're like, oh, this is – I can see this is passed down from – you know, you can see the direct lineage of certain actions from, from uh, my wife and I, from our parents. I don't see anything that has to do with money. But well, who knows? It would be so knows? hard to tell. Well, it's hard to tell. <laughs> and I haven't sequenced their genes yet. Well, that's that's what you're planning to do tonight after well, you I take think, a couple stamps well, off the envelopes. With your new science background, <laughs> I assume you'll be doing that. <laughs> yeah, I wondered how applicable my PhD would be. Now I've now got it. Um, but I would say that, though, the – you know, there's a lot of factors about what is money, what's wealth, how do you uh, – you know, it, it's not just sort of a, you know, blanket statement. But I think there are – it is true that people genetically are more geared towards either worrying about money or not worrying about money. And if you're worried about it because – and you choose a career path that gives you the least amount of likely volatility in your salary, you know, and then that stops you from going on and doing great things that you could do by taking more risk in your career, it's a shame. But it's also a recognition that 
you won't be happy doing those sort of things. That taking a, you know, working for less with more stability is the right trade-off for you based off of your own genetic makeup than it is for somebody know. else. I feel like you hear so many people who say something like, you know, I don't want to work as hard as I saw my parents work nonstop. I'm not willing to do that. I want to have more leisure time or my you know, parents were careerists and that they didn't have time for me and I'm not going to do that. Or people saying exactly the opposite. My parents didn't do anything and I want to have this great career. So it feels like, and at least the stories they tell are nature stories. I mean, I don't yeah. think any of us know, excuse me, nurture stories. I don't think any of us know whether where our genes stop and our up, 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 uh, upbringing kicks well, we, in. Well, we certainly all overstate that it's, you know, we don't it's like our, to think that choice. it's hereditary. Yeah, exactly. Right, that we've, we've made these, these conscious decisions is, you know, but very little of what we actually do is free will. We think it is. Um, uh, so, yeah. Save that for the philosophy podcast. Well, as a matter That's of fact, n- it's very three. funny. Here we go. We've got a lot of offshoots of this. this <laughs> That's is... right. It's, I mean, talk about branding. This is like, you know, Trump can put his name on steak and, and knives and ties and apartments. We can Breaking do podcasts. the mold. Breaking the mold podcast. Breaking the mold science. Breaking That's the mold right. genetics. <laughs> Thank you for – we'd be curious, kind of your own own perspectives, yeah. uh, all the listeners out there, on what you view as uh, – whether this is uh, hard-coded or not in terms of your view on uh, on wealth. But let's um, let's end it there, Dan, and uh, let's uh, let's get to our, our third segment. So uh, we'll be right back uh, with, uh, with you on uh, Breaking the Mold. It's business. It's business time. Breaking the Mold wants your feedback. Please visit our iTunes show page and tell us what you think about the show. Now, back to your hosts. Welcome back. It's time for the big question, big idea. The big idea, big idea. that could lead to big questions. Just my brain's getting bigger just, just hearing you say Expanded. that. Well, I know uh, not that At- we're fraternal twins or anything, but whatever size your brain is, mine will catch up to it. Um, you weren't even listening. It was identical twins. Identical. Oh, yeah. Sorry. What? All right, Evan. Yes. Here's a question Yes, for you. talk to me. When you employ people right now, you mm-hmm. can either employ them as full-time workers or you can hire contract workers. Mm-hmm. The question I want to talk to you about is, should mm-hmm. there be a middle way? Should there be a protective, a protected class for the gig economy? Let me give you some background here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uber is probably the best known case of using contractors as a business model. Okay. Your Uber driver is has no employment with Uber. They have an app. They can drive for anyone they want. They can work whenever they want. They can turn it off. They're not bound by any kind of rules. Uber says they love this kind of uh, situation, and every driver I've talked to so far uh, has said the same thing, which is not, you know... It sounds a little cultish, which sounds a little like they've been trained to say that. No, it's funny. I don't think... I'm not sure that they have. They just seem Hmm. to like the idea of being able to drive for anyone. They might... They have complaints about... They have plenty of complaints about Uber, but one of them is... not the flexibility. One of them is not that they're not employed. That doesn't seem to come up. Got it. Um, But they, they get no benefits. They get no benefits. That's right. And they can lose access to the app for doing certain, for for getting a low rating and for doing other things. Uh-huh. They and can then be fired. That's essentially being fired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's like being excommunicated. This more like, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> and there are other on-demand companies that have gone the opposite route. Instacart, for instance, had the very similar model. Instacart will go and pick your pick groceries up for you and then deliver them to your house. Instacart switched to a model where they have their workers inside the grocery stores are actually employees. And the ones that then drive the, the, the groceries to your house are contract workers. 
um, company called Ship went for went for they they hired everyone instead of doing contract workers they had to put everyone on payroll. Mm-hmm. And so there's this thing going on where these companies are trying to debate what the right model is. And two uh, economists, well, actually one economist and the former deputy secretary of labor. Uh, both for uh, Obama, have come out with a paper arguing that there needs to be a third way, a protected class for gig economy workers. And their argument is that what you need to have, give people the ability to have freedom to organize. Wait, wait, yeah. what, what, what do you mean by gig? You never heard of this term. Gig economy no. is this idea that you are picking up gigs. It's like being a musician. You're not a... Oh, gigs. Gig, G-I-G. Like, I know, but I don't know. I thought it was a... Like a gigabyte, like oh, it's like you know, yes. it's picking up gigs is in like yeah. That's right. Okay, yeah, you might yeah, hear, yeah. hear it of the 1099 versus W two right, workers. So right. this is what sits right in the middle of the two of them, and um, and so the the question is, do you need this new protected class or is this going to bring other kind of of issues? So their argument is that you give people the ability to have freedom to organize, so that you can have unions. Uh, they have civil rights protection. They get tax withholding. Right now, there's no tax withholding. And they get the payroll tax contributions from the employers. Mm-hmm. Um, none of that, you know, right now, if you're a freelance worker, you're expected to pick up all of that yourself and deal with all of the crazy, complicated taxes. Right. This way, you would have companies would enable you to do it. Um, and, and, but, you know, and I think it sounds interesting, and it certainly seems like the direction that, that it seems like there are more and more of these kind of uh, of companies that are starting that want to employ this as a business model where they don't hire people full-time. I'm not sure that this third way is necessarily makes a lot of sense. Um, what do you think? Have you have you ever thought about, you know, you're, you're an employer. Do you Have you ever thought about doing a all-contract uh, company? I mean, it's still hard for me to envision what loyalty let, – let's, let's break it down. I think the advantage from an employee standpoint of working for a company is that – the company's bought into you, and they they make a commitment to you by, you know, having you have rights and protections by being an employee, and not to mention benefits and 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 stability. They're, everybody's an at will employee, but there's still stability for them. The other side is having somebody who's got the full flexibility and freedom to come and go as they please. There's really no, you know, what's the repercussion of just deciding you don't want to come in in any one given day? You go and find your next freelance job and go do something else. And there's something probably that's, you know, I'm in control of my own, you know, my own career, my own destiny by yep. doing it that way. Um, but it is hard. I mean, the, what, you know, a, a Uber who's on that route has only operated in a economy where there's been where it's been a strong economy right where you know unemployment rates at five percent and going down and you can talk about that a lot of it is a demographic shift which is that people are just leaving the workforce it's not like the, the unemployment rate is going down but like it basically allows a lot of those in this market for but it's not always going to be that way and actually needing people to actually you can count on not who just happened to show up for work on a day when it's slow on anything else that they're doing is actually I think will eventually be, become a problem. Why wouldn't wouldn't a bad economy actually help this the contract workers? I mean, if you are let's say that, that you have more people out of jobs looking to pick up work anytime they can, they're the ones who are going to be more likely to say, "I'm going to spend more of my free time on the Uber app waiting to go do um, to go do runs." I don't know. I, I don't know. It, it's it depends on what that bad economy looks like. I mean, if if it's, you know, there's not much of a barrier to entry to be an Uber driver, right? right? You you know, um, 
and it's not like you got to go back to school to you know to, to to train for it. So, you know, what typically happens in economic downturns is that that's a chance for people to re-educate, right? They get out of the workforce and they go do something else. So like if they just decide, you know what, I can make enough money just driving for Uber, you're right, it's probably not gonna affect it. But if it actually is, you know, if what if what should happen is that, that all, you know, that it motivates people to actually get jobs that fit for the for what will be for the new economy. Driving, you know, is not one of them. You can make the argument that eventually they're all going to be driverless cars and they're going to be out of work anyway. That's, yeah, I definitely, I actually think that is that is where things are going. But there are, and so in that in that situation, this third class would be something that if if you create this kind of third this gig protected gig worker, yeah. what you end up doing is you've created a new set of regulations for a certain an economy in a certain state that wouldn't actually be necessary. I, I think, yeah. I mean, this is the same thing we've talked about on previous episodes, because I don't think that it's... Which episode? Uh, ten. <laughs> if you say ten, you're right like half the time. <laughs> um, is that you, you know, is that it's not the government's job to like, to, to regulate an industry that doesn't regulate, you know, a... a um, behavior that doesn't exist yet like that you you know if if it's a problem that's when government should step in mm-hmm. but i'm not sure what problem you're solving here i mean like if i'm if if i'm a freelance if i'm if i'm you know one of the delivery guys for instacart and i'm really i'm i'm jealous that like man the guy who's getting to go pick out all the groceries in there is like you know gets health care and i don't so then you get that job mm-hmm. right it's not i i'm not i'm not sure an either or is fine Essentially, what that what what is being proposed is that government overreach to allow for better, uh, you know, protections for the freelancer. And but there's benefits to being a freelancer. And if you choose not to, then go and be an employee or vice versa. I just don't feel like that. Of all of the ills that you know that I think, um, you know, a a that, that affect the average certainly you know employee in a western country one of if you can't get that job and the only reason you can't get the job is because corporations are screwing you because they figured out a way that if you're not allowed to unionize and you're not allowed to actually like fight for your rights then yeah that's that that's just that's illegal work practices but that's not the way it is here and i think they can switch so yeah see i would i would i would argue that the that that what we're seeing is a problem with the social safety net and that, in fact, what you want to do is if you can allow people to go from being employed to being freelancers because there are protections that, and, there, and ta- taxes do make – are easier to do and you don't have to worry so much about being within the warm embrace of a large company to be able to, to get all the other – besides just your paycheck, all the other kind of protections you need – then that's something that is worth that our government. It's worth our government thinking of. I, I disagree with you. It's like that's just that's the free market. So that there might be opportunities for, you know, for freelancers to work in one place or another. But like I, I don't feel like you need government stepping in to protect for a safety net. I mean, I I, I don't think these Uber drivers or <clears throat> or the Instacart delivery guys or the bike messengers right. are are the ones who need a safety net. I think it's the mentally ill homeless on the street 
you know, I, 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 it, the question, I guess, beyond behind all this is what what should be worker protection? What should be worker rights? Right. Um, and I do think that there is there is the potential for the Ubers of the world who've got a really good thing going. They've got a good gig, right? I mean, thinking of it from an employer standpoint, what you pay in Obamacare tax and Medicare tax yeah. and healthcare expenses and how high they're getting each and every year, like to just say to all of my employees, you know what? Or you're going to be freelancers, right? And well, I think that's it's a great point. It is, and this is what these these economists were arguing is that if you just have people picking this as a business model, yeah, that's a bad sign. Right, if they're just doing it because they get some kind of you know they're they're playing a um, uh, you know it's regulatory arbitrage. Right, that's that's where that's where things get bad. Dan Roth, thank you very much for joining. Thanks Guest for having host. me. Wonderful, wonderful show. Uh, everybody, please email us at btmshow at icloud.com. Follow us at Roth Evan, at Daniel Roth. We're here. We're listening. If you're running, keep going. That's right. You're almost there. You're there. You're almost there. Uh, that's, that, that's true, actually, for a good um, philosophy podcast. Listen to uh, Very Bad Wizard. Um, the person running Very Bad Wizard is Tamler Summers, who also has told me on uh, frequent occasions that he listens to this while running and gets more tired. Really? Yeah. It's more tired. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For breaking the mold, I'm Evan Roth. I'm we'll Daniel see you Roth. next episode. Goodbye. It's business time. It's business time. It's business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh. It's business. It's business. You've been listening to Breaking the Mold. Let us know what you think of the show via Twitter at BTM Show, through email at btmshow at iCloud.com, and at our iTunes show page. Breaking the Mold is recorded at Mixopolis in New York City. 